What's happening, party people? And uh, welcome to Talking During Movies. This time, we're going we're gonna to take a little switch out. Uh, I started a new podcast called Deep Media Technology, interviewing thought leaders in Bitcoin and AR, VR, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and kind of everything in between. Uh, this first one is from uh, my new friend, Shaw. So the opening music will actually be from his hit song, Just Text Me. We'll also close out with that music. We've got it about an hour of a conversation with Shaw talking about culture, art, development, leadership, thoughts and ideas on the future, and everything in between. I'm going to post a couple more of these. Uh, I'll do these general intros to, uh, to kick it off. You can also search on SoundCloud, Deep Media Technology, and you'll find the rest of the interviews that I'm doing with people uh, throughout the world here. So take a listen. Enjoy and by all means shoot me some feedback talking during movies podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at talking during movies. Thanks so much. Stay safe, stay healthy. Love you guys. Enjoy. Who are you calling just text? Yeah, Time and money, man expensive. Man expensive. You and me we're not best friends. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much and welcome to Deep Media Technology Day. We are blessed and honored to have the great and powerful Shaw. Shaw, how are you, sir? I'm great. It's a blessing and honor to be here with y'all today. Man, thanks for making the time, the flight, and all the chaos. Before we get too deep into everything, uh, one, on the social channels, where can people find you online? How can they find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you and listen to your music? Thank you for beginning. I always forget this one. <laughs> so thanks for starting and getting it out there. So if you want to find me on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, Day of Shah, I'm Shah, S-H-A-H-D-A-Y-O-S-H-A-H, is where to find me. And then Spotify, you type in Shah or iTunes, that will be used wherever. Uh, that's where to find me. Perfect. You, um, you've done a, an amazing job uh, in managing the media, you know, it's there's there's a lot of artists that come out and they pop and drop. Yeah. And you you didn't you rose, you know, you, it wasn't it wasn't like a balloon and all of a sudden someone heard the pop, but it also wasn't a wheeze. You you systematically it seemed like beautifully rose to the occasion differently than I've seen other artists do it. How'd you do that? So that's I love how you put it because that's very accurate and. It was unintentional because I will say the upside of the pop is that it'll be a lot more fun. Things just happen like and it goes boom. Whether there's a marketing campaign behind it or it organically happened, which I don't think happens a lot these days yeah. where things just explode. But then the downside of that is that you need to be able to carry that momentum with you. So for me, it what the way that it's worked for me is this just been very organic and then one being an independent artist means that you're not really equipped with the, the budget or the force to just make things explode out of nowhere and then I guess just the type of artist I am where it's sort of quality or the, the drive behind myself and the reason I do things sort of more meaningful reasons is just there's always going to be something to back up whatever I'm doing and it just makes things advance. So that's sort of the reason, but I would say to be honest, it's not necessarily an intentional, hey, let's make this happen slower or more consistently. Mm -hmm. It was just sort of the fan bases that I have are ones that stay with you. And yeah, that's just 
You're, um, you know, doing research and seeing your rise and your fans and staying an independent artist, uh, being an old school guy, you know, almost 50, reminds me of Fugazi from DC, right? They did, they just, they worked hard, they played to the fans. They did, and I've said this a lot to people, uh, my dear friend and CEO of, of, of PCMA, John Lynch, he goes, it's not about customer loyalty, it's about loyalty to customers. Yep. And you're personifying that loyalty to your fans. Very, you hit that one on the head, that's a bullseye right there. And again, that's not something that you can force. And yeah. I think that's something that needs to be sort of who you are and not take that for granted. And maybe earlier in my career, that would have been a risk or, or when I was 19, 20, I wasn't doing this full time. And I sort of think that if I had, that may have been one of the consequences. If I'd been sort of, this is pop when I was a kid, then I may have taken it for granted. Mm -hmm. But the loyalty to my fans, it's something that goes both ways, but it's something that is driven by the reality that it's my fans that let me do what I want for a living, like this fans let me live my dream. So no matter what it is, you're always gonna remember that these are the people that have got me where I am. So I'm always gonna ride, ride for them. Sure, and real quick to our audience out there and to the people uh, uh, viewing this, thanks to uh, Only VR, uh, the reason, you might hear some background noise, we're, at a, we're in a hotel lobby, the coronavirus um, awareness is in full effect, so okay. we've, we've kind of been bounced around. As an independent artist and someone who probably, I'm, I'm gonna say, well not probably, definitely has a better touch and pulse on your fans, what's your recommendation, because I think this goes far past music, it goes to entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. what's your recommendation to people out there that may be a little too caught up in this because pandemic or not you can still reach your fans yes. right? I mean other people who are maybe had to use a marketing budget to reach someone right they're cut off now right because mm -hmm. they can't go to the sold-out venue that you know got a hundred million dollars behind it to make sure that people showed up right right they're out of luck yet you're still moving forward yep so as as more than a trailblazer but as a leader in, in engagement, what do you say to those new artists coming up and, and to the people that uh, maybe have a curiosity or, or just are confused or stressed a little bit? So for the, for the artist, for the new artist, or like you said, extending beyond just music and creativity into entrepreneurialism, it might be easier said than done, but if the thing that you have is going to be some, is something that will genuinely want mm -hmm. and can genuinely attract people and then you just keep doing what you're doing. You just be real to your product or you as an artist and you keep pushing forward and keep putting out the content. It will attract, it will draw the people that are going to rock with you. Now, I say it's easier said than done because you, know, you sort of need to reach this point of critical mass for it to really count and for people to really be able to see it, feel it. But that's what I say. It's just what you've got is genuinely great, genuinely attract whoever your audience is, you don't need to worry. Nice, I like that, I like that a lot. That's, that's good advice for anybody out there, no matter what they're doing. Podcast music, starting exactly. a business. Exactly. You know, uh, put your content, put your quality out there, put your best work out there, and, and uh, you know, market yourself, and find the right relationships, and the, march forward. I mean, marketing yourself is key, finding the right relationships is key. I think it needs to begin from the place of the content Got to genuinely be good, and then obviously you got to sort of differentiate yourself or find your lane. 
Um, but yeah, then those are things that amplify the core of what it is that you're creating. For uh, for the people that don't know you and, and, and what you do, let's take a run back. Was Shaw like as a kid? Were you like a <laughs> as a kid? I was always in trouble. So I was, you know, smart, like good grades, but then you know that was probably outweighed by always getting in trouble. You know, ADHD. Shout out ADHD. You know, I've been rocking with you my whole life, and then. I spent too much time in school, so I, I'm, I'm someone that people view as a positive role model, okay. like overall, but the advice I give to kids is don't spend more time in school than you need to, especially today and, and for the last say, 10 years where you can really create your future for something that you want to do, you can figure out how to do that without, this, without academics. So I spent too much time in school, and it took me a while to realize that. You no, know, no, it took me a while to realize that if I do anything outside of making music and just living this life, then it's not going to end up the right way. I'm just going to get in trouble. I'm going to end up in prison. I'm going to end up dead. I'm going to end up, you know, doing or, or miserable would be the best case scenario. So then I was like, you know, you have to. I have to pursue my dream, and I live in the era where. I can do it. I can make this happen on my own, in my own way, on my own terms. So, you know, who I was as a kid really directed me to doing these things. It took me longer than necessary to go all in with it. Okay. Uh, as you know, you, you said you, you you got in trouble a lot and ADHD, and you know, it's it's weird. I have friends who have gone to MIT. And it's like, that's the school of ADHD, dyslexia, and getting in trouble. Yeah, okay, okay. Your, your mind isn't built to sit in a row for six hours, and then you, you don't work A, B, C, D. You might work A, M, L, Z, back to D. You know, and, and, and it's, it, blows, it blows me away that we know all this, right. that we have MITs that are there talking about this, yeah. and school still doesn't change. 100%. Well, I do think that that's the, so what you talk about is an area that I haven't explored yet, where you take the take your typical ADHD brain, some people will say that 10% of ADHD brains have the capacity or are built to overproduce, mm -hmm. so that they're built to be hyper-functional. But yeah, this is, un, this is not discussed or not understood across the board. So I think that this knowledge is at the forefront of what's being discovered. And then the mind altogether is something that's not fully understood. Like music psychiatry is the least developed area of medicine. Like the least is the area where with the least reliability, the least consistency, medicine is going to work. It's the yeah. area that has most to be explored. So I think that kind of explains it. But I definitely think that the, the schools have, you know, a lot more to develop and a lot more to learn in comparison to what that does for you, motivate you. No, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful feeling. With, um, it's, you know, as you think about, what do you enjoy more as a feeling as a person? Is it that song relating, and then this is a pivot here, or is it, as an entrepreneur, is it that idea that takes off? Or is it a mix? Is, is there one that gives you a little more joy, or is it, are they kind of even across the board? It's a great, uh, 
great question. So I will say that on the entrepreneurial side of things, which kind of goes back to what you were saying before, is that for me, how has it sort of manifested more slowly or more sort of consistently? Mm -hmm. It's that on the entrepreneurial side, that is more exciting, but I haven't put the time into making that happen. So what that means is that we live in a new era of music where it's not the gatekeeper era, meaning signing with a label and having someone push the button, it doesn't work that way the same way it did, say, 15 years ago and beyond. But there still is an aspect of that, like the industry still exists, but that sort of relationship building, you know, for the purpose of success is not something that I've devoted time to. Or another sort of similar angle there is that I'm a part of a lot of different communities, but I haven't exploited that to convert these communities into rabid fan bases. The way that, you know, good business might suggest that I should do more and faster. So I haven't really yet experienced the payoff of the entrepreneurial side. Now it's exciting because I know that I'm well positioned for that to happen the moment that I do decide to push the button and accelerate or I just keep doing what I'm doing and then I let these communities sort of realize, hey, yo, this guy that I know as a member of this community, this is Shaw, this is a rapper, check Look at what he's done and then let the, let that explode. But it's, I can't really answer which is more exciting in reality because I haven't exploited the business side of it. Now, the potential of it is more is is more exciting, but um, I haven't yet pushed that button. So, so that's what it is. Nice, but it's it's interesting. But once again, there's a plan in place. You're not you're not throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. It's like you didn't just decide, you know, play the guitar over here, play the piano over here, let me rap over here, let me just see what sticks. You've got a plan in place, you're building your communities you're, you, so that when you decide to take action, you can, which I think is a very important note because everyone reads a story, they see Business Insider, they see the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, like, man, I'd never heard of that guy, it came out of nowhere, so lucky, so lucky. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think for <laughs> me, it's not even a matter now of, um, when I'm gonna push the button because I think that, especially as a rapper, that your audience can see through bullshit. And you might get lucky and, you know, if you have an audience that's more like, say, 13 and under or something like that, maybe the audience won't realize that, hey, this was a gimmick that broke you to the top. Or there's a lot of rappers, if you look at Takashi 69 and all, all that sort of lane, and people don't care, people know that it's a gimmick, yeah. right? But outside of that, there's the reality is that if you're sort of faking something or if you're exaggerating something, or even if you're even if there's something genuine there, but you're exploiting it, the audience is gonna know. So just avoiding all that together puts you in a place where if you're consistent with what you're doing, it'll get you there. So I wouldn't even say that there's a strategy behind me not pushing the button. It's just that this is the more genuine way of doing things. If there's something mm -hmm. that I'm interested in and there's a community that I'm a part of, I don't feel inclined to figure out, hey, what's the way to get my music to this entire community as fast as possible? Um, my mentality is it'll get there. And then the exciting part is the reality of, hey, hey, 
years all these places where things are bubbling up genuinely and when it starts to click there is going to be this explosion that might not feel fast because it's been bubbling for for years now um but yeah i'm still not my mentality has just become one where it's like no i'm not going to I'm not going to fake anything. I'm not going to force anything. Sure. We're um, at, in the in the music world. I look at 2020 and beyond. You know, I, I look at people like you because of of, of how you've worked. Uh, you, you you haven't followed the system. And I I wonder, thinking out loud here, has music kind of lost its leaders, the trailblazers, the people that you know that. I mean, it seems like the 70s and 80s had some leaders there, right? That say no to this and they just go do it. Has it lost some of its leadership? Uh, it's definitely lost. So I can, I can speak, I can only really speak on rap, right? Sure. It's definitely lost leaders at the forefront. Okay. Right? So Tupac was the last example of the biggest rapper was someone who really stood for something. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so without a doubt, that's, that's gone. And even like when you look at what people call the golden era rap, like that early 90s, mid 90s New York um, era where there was quality lyrics that said something that, that was the forefront, that era is also completely gone. Now, it sort of makes sense that the more commodified rap gets and the more sort of corporate rap gets up top, the less of a message that there's going to be. But I think also maybe tastes have changed or there's something else where your your leading role is also not the the biggest rapper. You have people for, for better or for worse who are I guess more of like beta personalities that have that have that have risen. And maybe that's because audiences can select more precisely who is the mu- who is the, the rapper they want to rock with, what sort of music you want to like listen to. So you don't need to sort of find strictly mainstream artists, but definitely the leadership is lost at the top. And I think that there are rappers that lead their little communities of, of something, and, and you might not see that at a mainstream level. But yeah, like there there has been there is something that's lost um, up top. Yeah. Do you um, what you know? I'm sure you get hit up by young rappers all the time and musicians, and just what what's the advice you give them? What's the what's the first thing you want to tell them? You know, is, is it because I heard you say a lot about quality and. As a fan of stand-up comedy, one of the keys of a great comedy is economy of words. Yeah. It's knowing the right thing to say and how to say it to a rhythm. And whether you know whether they like it or not, rap and comedy is closer together than I think anyone will ever realize. Stand-up comedy and rap for sure, <laughs> all day. All day, right? So what I tell them is, from my experience, is there's no shortcuts, except for if you want to pay your way through. And in Atlanta, there's a lot of street money. There's a lot of rappers who, before they get to a label, have a lot of street money, mm-hmm. and they can pay their way through. And those are the those are the two options. Sure. For someone looking for how do I get this done, put in the work, or pay your way through. Do you um at 
you're in Atlanta. What uh, what drove you? Or what brought you to where like, this is this is my home base? You know, what is it about Atlanta that you love so much? Atlanta is the city that launched my career. I was there for what was supposed to be a day for a show. <laughs> Got there and the fans were rocking with me. This was before I really had anything going in any other place, and it was just Atlanta that launched my career. Magic City is a I'm most influential institution in rap music for the past 10, 15 years. To get the record played there, that means something. The first time we're at Magic City, this is before I had a name, before anything was really going on for me. You know, Magic City's playing the song. There's fans there, there's industry interested in me. So it was really, it was just a no-brainer. Like, okay, fine, something's, something's happening. We're gonna rock with it. We're gonna rock with it. It's uh, it's one of the best things about digital, right? Is whether it's SoundCloud or Spotify or whatever, you can you're no longer going on tour to go on tour. Now you're like, oh wait, twenty five percent of my downloads come from Houston, Texas. I can show this to a bar or a venue in Houston, and we can make something happen. And you can target those people. It's it's fascinating what tech has been able to do. Yeah, and there's still so that's. That's another bullseye. I don't know to what extent artists are seeing where their audience is and then directly connecting that to a booker or to a show. It definitely smarter, smarter rappers and then especially if there's a label involved will see this where there's numbers. So let's run ads there or let's amplify this more mm -hmm. so that it does get to the ground. Ultimately, a rapper needs to do shows. So strictly staying on the internet is not a long-term game plan but yeah the internet is a way where you can do it at the beginning you can be from someplace that doesn't have a scene and just with consistency get somewhere and then find that scene and move to it like you did for Atlanta yeah for me it was without the data without <laughs> knowing that and Atlanta I would say is not really uh, a place where the internet it's, it's probably the place where the internet matters the least because the infrastructure that's there is so strong and so powerful so it's surprising the well, I guess in the last maybe, I would say 18 months, you can start to feel Spotify start to be in the brains of Atlanta artists. And maybe that's only because they realize the labels are looking at Spotify numbers. But overall, the internet matters less to Atlanta rappers than any musician I can think of. Wouldn't you also say Atlanta, that's a, almost east of the Mississippi, not to knock the West Coast, but east of the Mississippi, like Atlanta, They'll drive across town for a great show. New York City, you'll you'll get from borough to borough for a good show. LA, you Santa Monica, they're like, oh, I don't know if I can make it. Yeah. <laughs> LA for a LA for a rapper that hasn't made it. New York is tough too. New York New York is very tough too because there's this um, unwillingness to rock with a rapper who hasn't popped. Once you pop in New York, if you're from there, then the city really wants to see you go all the way. Okay. So designer, Cardi B, um, A Boogie. Once you've sort of made it in the city, then they want New York to have the crown back, right? Mm -hmm. But otherwise, yeah, in the in the southeast, and I would say in the south and up, up in, it's actually more of a south phenomenon where people want to see rappers that are doing their thing, and that's part of the reason that the, that's part of what makes up the culture of Atlanta that lets rappers flourish there. That aren't hating on someone who's not yet a household name nationally but because Atlanta's seen so many rappers blow up that just you doing your thing encourages and attracts this support 
it, it, it's it's a bullseye. And for LA, yeah, that's a especially a tough place. <laughs> it's a monster. Yeah, it's a monster. The only rappers I know from LA that have done it are have done it from the streets. So like they had been in the streets and it's still taking a long time. It's still taking them. like you look at a Nipsey or you look at like you've gotta like you've gotta be ganged up and have that as your initial community. So LA's is LA's a tough one. Yeah, I, I you know been a kid of the West Coast, Seattle, fairly easy but still hard. Portland, weird town. Not yeah. there, it's just it's it it invites rap, but it doesn't have a culture there. If that makes exactly, sense, exactly, right? Like yeah. if you go there and put on a good show, everyone's going to show up. But as soon as you leave, your energy leaves with you. It seems yes, like yes. I would say that for a lot of these places, like I would say a lot of the I guess the Northwest, there is something there for certain rappers. I think Russ like had something there. It might be a lot of white rappers there have been able to like make something. There, but yeah, it's it's who's not the a, last great one, Sir Mix a Lot? I'm not saying that facetiously. Who's the I mean, I like, like I Seattle know. was Sir Mix a Lot back, and that's 1990 with Baby Got Back. Well, I mean, I was guess, that rap? I mean, was that just kind of him having I don't mean to knock him because I listened to as a kid, you know, but it's like, was he having fun? And not that having fun can't be rap, but it seemed more like the 70s, yeah, 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 fun kind of gaming. I, well, maybe that's what it is, because then, you know, your boy Macklemore, you yeah. know, he... he... <laughs> and I'm not trying to cast shade on anyone, I'm really not. It, I think it shows the different styles of music, what people embrace and don't embrace, and how people move forward. But it also, I think there's a lack of depth in those areas, which makes it maybe easier sometimes for someone to pop a little bit in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as they try to expand, right. they're like, I'm going to go back home. <laughs> exactly. I, I think those. Are, I think right now these are the places where once you're already big, there's there's an easy market for you to go in there based on what you achieve in other places, yeah. and then jump straight to bigger shows. Um, meaning you don't have to do the sort of the grind out there. But yeah, that's like that. That region is probably for me what I would imagine to be sort of the last part of the country. Um, to really uh, bring it home for me. Now it's definitely part of a plan because you know 2020 is on my sort of trajectory. 2020 will be the year where I become a household name, mm -hmm. but it probably will be sort of LA first instead of pushing out and getting to LA last. And then once LA, meaning for the West Coast or the Northwest, sure. and then from LA get the rest of the the region. So yeah, that's that's what I know of that area. And yeah, it, it is uh, different for a rapper. Yeah, it is. And once again, nothing wrong with. It. I mean, they produce uh, amazing artists and music out of out of those areas. It's it's unique. You know that as much as America is this great melting pot, there's also it's also great in pockets of music. Yes. Which yes. If you travel, like I'm a road trip warrior, I'll drive. I mean, I drove from here to Montana. I don't care. I love it. But you also you get to see the different music and that's, cool. that's and cool. That's cool for sure. I never I never previously had an appreciation for niches, at least niches that I wasn't passionate about. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this phenomenon exists where there's hey, there's there's local stars or regional stars. Um, it's very interesting. Like an example from Atlanta in the southeast is 
um, Lil Boosie from Louisiana. Huge following in the streets. So like the chicken circle, so southeast to south in the, in the streets. Like the rap world that really is the first to put on a lot of artists. Love Lil Boosie. But in Toronto, I don't think people know who that is. <laughs> yeah. you know, in LA, I don't know if people know who Boosie is. So that's real, like that's culture. That's real dope for me. Yeah. Sometimes I didn't appreciate the floor, but definitely come. There was a band I met, we did a thing years ago at South By where I just hosted a, uh, I just got a lounge up above where Live Nation was doing this. And any artist from anywhere, the traditionally South By, right, you go and do the gig gap. I got I got more shit going on. Yeah, exactly, move, move, move. exactly. Yeah. And I was like, no, if you're an artist, you come by my lounge, free booze, free food, hang out. And this band came through, Scarecrow, never heard of them. They're from France. The guy cannot speak a lick of English at all, but he's huge in Louisiana and France because he's blues hip hop. So his his guy comes out. He's got this little tiny mixer and he's got this steel guitar and all he was je bois. And it's a packed room, and I'm like, no one's playing music, I don't care. And he starts rapping in French and slapping his steel guitar, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, what is this? What? And this one kid from Louisiana comes running up the stairs. I mean, he shook the building, big boy, shook the building, right? He's like, Scarecrow, Scarecrow. I'm like, what? He goes, no, I'm from Louisiana. Like, this is these guys are huge in Louisiana. I said, so Louisiana and France? And their manager's like, yeah. That's, these are our two hot spots, <laughs> and, we're, and we're testing Austin. Yeah, it's crazy. That's dope. I love, I love, I love phenomena like this. Like this is something that I really want to spend more time collaborating with. Like these sort of phenomenons. It's something that I haven't spent time with yet because I'm still working on like the foundation. I'm still working on the space. I'm still figuring out like you know America. But for me, these. And I guess it starts to get bigger, but for me, the pockets that excite people is like the brown world. So my parents are from India. So okay. the whole South Asian world is the one of the reasons that Atlanta got so excited about me. Because they're like, yo, this guy is going to be like Drake, but international. Are the Hawks calling you? The Hawks. You, you're better luck than Drake. <laughs> yo, hey, we got one. We got one. You got one. You got one. All the Drake users, whatever. <laughs> Now we got one. But uh, the Hawks, I mean, I love, like, hey, shout out Trey Young. Trey Young is, dude, that kid. Trey Young, but I don't know. I feel with the Hawks, I just feel like it's one of these franchises where I don't know what it'll take to get them right. Now, Toronto was one of those franchises where we all, it, we all had in our hearts a little piece of it that said, we're never going to win a championship, you know? Like, we're never yeah. going to win an NBA championship. And then it happened, so there's hope for Atlanta. And all the rappers do rock with Atlanta Hawks, but um, no, with, with, with sports, I'm generally a Toronto guy. That's and then my NFL team is the Saints, and in Atlanta, the Atlanta Saints have that, a, a rivalry. You know about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that if anyone knew about that rivalry. Oh, no, that's, of, that's a hard fought battle. Yeah, so then I pull up, you know, as a Canadian in Atlanta, Rock with the Saints. You come to our city, <laughs> our city blows you up, and you're a Saints fan. So that's been one thing that I'm like, uh, how loud can I get about this? You know, like how loud can I get? It? But um, so oh, you know what my Atlanta team is though? Um, uh, Atlanta FC, the, the football club. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know they've got a football team that brings out or soccer that brings out uh, seventy thousand people. So Major League Soccer to me was something that brings out you know seven thousand people. Maybe maybe fifty five hundred people. I didn't, and I knew Toronto was big, but Toronto's like an immigrant city. Soccer's, you know, a sport that is. 
international, not really American. So it made sense that Toronto was popping. Had no idea Atlanta was. Mark Bloom, who just retired from uh, Atlanta, mm -hmm. a friend of mine, was like, all right, come check out a game. I went with him, and it was mind-blowing. So that's my team. So that's my Atlanta team, is the, the soccer team. We, um, I work with a guy who runs all the alumni events uh, for NBA, MLS, NFL, and we're doing a thing with the MLS for the U.S. versus Mexico. Um, be sure to get you an invitation because it's a it's the day before the big game, and then we're sidelines on the big game. Dope, right? dope. And it's dude. I mean, he's like, oh, so here's the list. Please don't say anything, Jason. I'm looking at the list. I'm like, I know that. I, was, I mean, I was on Facetime with Kobe Jones the other day. I'm like, hey, Kobe. He's like, what's up, Jay? So we're we gonna do this thing, and I'm just like, I'm so I, yeah. I, and I I tried. My buddy was an alternate for the um, LA soccer team. And I used to run a lot, I was like 180. Alternate what, what do you mean alternate, alternate captain? Uh, no, he was uh, he was on the practice squad. Got it, got it, got it, yep. yep. A couple guys have to get injured before he gets to right, practice. Right. And he ran us through a practice. And I was running six miles in the morning just to warm up, get some stuff done. Sure. Nope. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. No, the enjoyment for that game is. The athletes that, that, that are out in that field, Listen, people can talk about flopping and all of their jazz. Go, right. through, go, go, go through a workout. Yeah. Go through a workout, you know, and then stop making fun because they're warming up six miles so they can warm up to warm up for the game. Yeah. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's an amazing, it's an amazing ability for sure. Yeah. Now, you said you're, you're, uh, you're, you're from, your family's from India. Yeah. Fastest growing middle class in the world. Yeah. Um, probably the hardest hit infrastructure in the world as far as they're trying to rebuild it at the same time. The, the middle class is growing, but then they're finding it, they're leaving and they're, they're taking their money with them. And I can understand why, because it's so hard. What, um, as an entrepreneur you, you, you and as a musician, you look back at your, your home country, where your family's from. Um, you know, entrepreneurs listening out there, it's weird how reach goes, yeah. especially with podcasts. Yeah. You want to tell those young people out there that are listening, hearing your voice, definitely know who you are or don't know who you are, everything you've accomplished, which is, is absolutely amazing, you're only gonna do more, what do you wanna tell them? I think to all the, all the brown boys and girls out there, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and like, you know, in the diaspora, all, all the bases yeah. across the world, the thing to, for, for all of us to have in our hearts is, all right, we live in 2020, and in our culture, like other cultures, especially immigrant cultures, there's this family pressure to do something conventional. And it comes from a good place. It comes from a place of you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer. It's a safe job. But there's something that's in the, the programming of our brains that has that volume too loud. And the thing that we gotta do is pursue your dreams. Follow your dream. Because if every day you're doing something that you love, you're going to live a totally different life than if you're doing something because it feels safe or because your parents made you. Now, I know that breaking out of that is not easy. I was very, I, I'm very lucky. My, my family is my biggest blessing. Okay. My biggest blessing in life is the love of my family. My parents just love me truly unconditionally. And that is my biggest blessing. Like, very privileged by that. There was still a bit of that sort of brown, like 
mentality. Like there's a joke that um, in terms of brown parents, Indian parents being like forcing their kids into being a doctor, there's a joke that the first brown president of America <laughs> is being sworn in. The first Indian like you know, descent, first basin president is being sworn in and then the mom of the president and the mom of the vice president are talking. So, and that joke brings truth. That would happen. So, to all my brown fans, all the brown listeners out there, I really, you know, take that to heart. If you, if academics thing you genuinely want to do, go for that. But who you find things you're passionate about, and I, I I thank you for asking that question because it is something that people need to hear. And I didn't hear that growing up. And we live in an era where you can really do anything you want. Absolutely. You know, I, let's touch a little bit on culture. I'll give you a little side story here. So I'm in uh, Thailand. My wife and I decided to get married on the beach in Thailand. Nice. What city? Uh, we know we were in one, we were at Koh Samui in the islands. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're hanging out, meet this couple. They just got married, Rohit and his wife, and they're from India. She's from a higher class than he is. Sure. Controversial. Yep. And we're talking like, hey man, listen, thank you so much. Tomorrow we're going to get married. And he looks at me and goes, hey, um, could I watch? I'm like, it's on the beach, of course. He goes, well, no, no, I've never seen a Western wedding. I go, dude, you gotta come down. So he's there and he goes, where's where's the music? I go, the music? He goes, you know, the da-da thing, the march thing. And I go, oh, they don't have the, for my iPhone. He goes, I'll hum it. But all he knows is da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, got it, okay. But the heart's there, the passion's sure, there. So yeah. he kicks everyone out of the pool. This cat goes, he's like, shut up, there's gonna be a wedding. Everyone get out of the pool. My wife's walking down, he does that, he gets down, I look at my wife and he's just, he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, this is so beautiful. Thank you for letting me watch this. I go, hey, come here. I go, what? I go, the marriage license, I need a witness. Will you please sign this? He starts crying. I mean, he's like, are you kidding me? I get a sign like, dude, come on. We we are now, we are friends. We talk once a month via every major social channel. We hang out. We went out and got beers afterwards. The wives are hanging out. We're all talking. We're having this amazing time. And in the back of my head, all I'm thinking is, if you put this on paper, at that time, a uh, a 38-year-old white guy from Montana on the islands of of Thailand, and this young 30-year-old, 28-year-old gentleman from India with his wife, you put it on paper. Are they going to hang out? Is he going to watch the wedding? Is he going to, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you send this to Hollywood, they're just like, listen, get up. Right, like, right. Move, move along, it move along. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Now, put these two in an apartment, and they fight all the time. We've got it, right? <laughs> but it's, I, I mean, I guess I, I bring all that up, and I'd like your insight on this, is everyone says we're more alike than we're different, and I think we get caught up a lot when we look at the dollar bill, and I'm like, I see a dead white guy, and you're like, I see a building. And I'm like, no, this is what I see, and you're like, no, you're wrong, and you turn it on its side, it's paper thin. It's paper thin. And and there's people that just, they need to know that. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, from music that influences culture to culture that influences culture to people trying to break away and not break away from their culture, but break away in a way where they have that entrepreneurial spirit of what you've accomplished. Yeah. Talking to those brown boys and brown girls saying, I know doctors being plugged, but you've got talent. You're an artist. 
in all these ways. How do you how do you bridge that? You, you touched on that a little bit, but how do you bridge that from maybe other parents or other people? Re- or like what I was saying earlier, that people see me as a positive role model, so they'll ask me to come in do something kind of stereotypical and I'll, and I'll like say come talk at a school and I'll be like yeah. hey drop out as soon as you feel the right and they'll be like what are you doing like this is not the thing it's like well I'm not the guy who's white but, <laughs> but to answer your question though in terms of connecting culture and who you are I recently had this realization that you know coming like so being sort of an outsider you know, I grew up in Toronto which is it's very multicultural but the default culture of Toronto, like most North American cities, is, is white. Right? Yeah. Like you meet someone on the street, you put on your, your white voice, you put on your interview voice, right? <laughs> so, like an effect of this that, voice, hey guys. Something exactly yeah. like that. <laughs> Atlanta, Listen to the radio too much, right? So, it's kind of like that. In Atlanta, you don't do that. In Atlanta, you know, you don't you know, switch it up. But in Toronto, you do. In, in New York, you do. LA, like in great cities, you still do. Um, so uh, a result of that is default culture is one where you don't sort of feel like you fit in. Um, is like you know you you gravitate towards the things where you do fit in. So for me that was like hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. Where it was like all right, well, this is an outsider culture, and especially it used to be more so. But you kind of growing up as a kid, you kind of then paint the entire experience of your own culture where you come from as negative because. Generally, the experiences that stand out are ones that are negative. Where it's like, oh, we don't do Christmas. Or when we're reading like Shakespeare, I don't know what the fuck is going on. But all, but, you know, Matt Smith can go home and his parents have to read Shakespeare so they can explain it to him. And I go home and I'm like, I don't fucking read Shakespeare. I'll figure it out, right? So it's like always like not belonging, it's, it's always sort of like, it, it, it feels like it's a liability. Just recently, though, I realized that there's all of these experiences that are assets. So, like, for example, in a brown family, there's never going to be a moment where the parents are going to, like, kick you out of the house or be like, you're 18, you got to leave, go get a job, or you're paying rent or something like that. Right? Your parents adopt me? <laughs> exactly. God. So you see, in a, in a white family, you're 17. Like, you're 17. Like, boot. Yeah, get out. Get out, son. A brown family, that's unfathomable. So it's like, so we have to realize, every, every culture has to realize all of these things that are there that are positive. And you got to embrace them. Um, that And it's just something happens when you're a kid and you realize that, okay, like, there are these. So there's there's these consequences of being different. It definitely don't help you. So mentally, you just, all right, I'm at a disadvantage. But that's not what it is. And then if that's put in our brains as a kid, like, hey, yeah, well, it, there's differences. There's things where you're going to be worse off because, you know, you can't go, like, if your parents don't speak English, then as a student, you're going to be worse off than someone who's, you know, seven generations deep in America. Sure. Of course. But then there's also going to be all these positives. And that part is not discussed. So for culture and sort of creating and strengthening yourself and positioning yourself, that's a key takeaway that is only clicked with me recently. It's interesting. I, I was thinking about this. Um, and if I if I phrase this wrong, please tell me. Yeah. I, I have no no shame in, in being told what I'm yep. more on sometimes. Uh, but I was thinking, I was like, 
I wonder in everything great that happens in India, from your from choreographed dance and entertainment, movies, cricket, everything else, and yet I remember sitting down with Rohit in Thailand and someone overheard us and heard us from India and they're like, You guys got great food. And it's not a knock, but it's like going it's like going to Italy or seeing an Italian and going, Don't you love pizza? And they're like, Yeah, but you know, with great wine, gelato, culture. Uh, you know, the arts and the sciences, all the arts and sciences born, the architecture in India, for crying out loud. The old architecture, the, the old, old architecture, the people like, uh, I mean, I watch Ancient Aliens sometimes just because I need to feel smart. Yeah, so I look yeah. at the most ridiculous stuff. Sure. And they're like, and people today are like, I don't know how that was built. I have right. no idea what's going on. Is there a, what's your, where's your, where's your tipping point where you're just like, I get it, but you might want to open a book. Without, I mean, because I'll say that, but I get, I, you know, I can say it because. No, you're, you're right. So what you said is very relatable because, so yes, the, the things that are mind-blowingly impressive in India's sort of history and culture, I think they might be a bit more nuanced. And therefore, like you have your example, like Taj Mahal. Which is like, all right, everyone knows Taj Mahal, and if you know the story of that, which this is one hundred percent marble, and there was elephants that carried marble from Russia to India, and how many ever hundreds of years ago it was to build that? There's one example of a story that is known worldwide that's not really nuanced, mm -hmm. but other than that, they are like generally sort of more nuanced things, combined with the reality that just for all the other countries, we don't learn about them. You learn about European history yep. and American history, and that's and that's it, right? So those two combinations are why we don't know more about India. But then I will say at the same time, modern Indian culture doesn't really speak to me. Like, I I can't tolerate musicals. I see <laughs> any sort of singing and dancing with my story, and I'm. You're out. I'm I'm in so much pain. I I'm in so much pain. I probably like come across like a Donald Trump supporter. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and cricket is not for me. And you know how like, long do those games last? Sometimes I don't know. I, maybe I mean, like seventeen a, days. Yeah, or I, like, that. like it's been a time for two weeks. <laughs> right, right. I think there's a tea time. I don't know what's going on, and I don't care. Like, like but there's a hundred thousand people in that stadium going nuts. Do and that's dope. I mean, and that's the Indian version of what we we're talking about, like the regional little support, right? But on, in India, when there's one point seven billion people, that little support is a hundred thousand people in the stadium, and that's dope. And keep going in on the culture. I guess the 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 part that for me makes it tough, or makes me sort of unwilling to like go all in on supporting India, and you refer to it as like the caste system. Yeah. Which is like this inequality is built in to society and it's just accepted. So in in Canada and, and also in America, we realize that equality is is right. Now in America and and also in Canada it's sort of like there's lip service. Like it's just lip service to a certain extent, right? Like we know that you know, we know that there's inequality, there's racial inequality, we know that there's gender inequality, we know all that stuff, but at least we know that, at least people know that you're supposed to say that that's wrong, right? Sure. And depending on how 
you know, advanced you are, you realize that that actually is wrong, and you're willing to do something about it. But in India, it's not even that. It's not even at the point of lip service or political correctness or whatever. It's that, no, no, like, I, you were born into that family, so you're better than the person who was born into that family. That's just what it is. Oh, no, you can't come around that family. Oh, you're Muslim? Oh, you're Sikh. You're, you're lower than the, the lowest caste. So that's just what society is. And right now, like, the, the ruling party is BJP. I don't know if you're following what's going on in India, but, like, in Delhi, there's, there's like, mob violence against Muslims that's being supported by the police. So, and that's being sort of triggered by the government of the country. So, like you hear about the, the Rohingya Muslims in, what was it, in uh, Burma, mm -hmm. that were being, I don't know, slaughtered or? Yeah, they were being mass executed. Mass executed, right? Or you, you see what's going on with the, I don't know how you pronounce it, the Uyghur Muslims in, uh, in China, right? So this devastating, unacceptable shit is happening in these places, but at least that's being called out. But in India, it's not. So I can't rock with that. Yeah. I, 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 that's to me is unacceptable. And what will it take for that to be gone from people's brains? And now this is centuries deep. And it's sort of like you can use the excuse of, well, you got to respect people's culture. So you can't just tell them this shit's wrong and like revolt and expect it to change. You have to respect culture, you have to respect people's religion, right? It's like, well, sure, you can say that. And, that, and that's where I'm like, Fuck this shit, like y'all figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Y'all clean this up and then and then I'll rock with you and then I'll wave the flag because you know, I, I would love to. But right now I I can't go like deeper in support for the yeah. culture. You know. That makes sense. It's it's a, and it's a brave statement to make because a lot of people would go, you know, that's my culture. I support it. I don't like things, but I still rock the flag, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then that's and that's a in, a very incoherent message. Definitely. You know, like I'm not gonna flip the coin until I flip the coin, but when I do, I'm not gonna like it. You're like, but you're flipping the coin. Stop. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, you've got to you've got to stop. Uh, a pivot here outside of that and back to some more fun stuff here on, on music and what have you. Sorry to bring everyone no, down. No, no, we're not bringing them down. Across the country, but it's, a, it's a good thing though. I mean, this is the beauty of, of what really, you know, uh, Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla started long before. Open format conversation, letting a conversation go Definitely. and giving an insight. Definitely. Um, I, I made a joke earlier. I was like, you know, hey, we heard through 2019 that podcasts were going to take over and the news said, hold my corona. You know, it's <laughs> like, I thought podcasts didn't take over though. <laughs> they, they, well, I, they really have. I mean, Rogan's got like 120 million downloads a month, and NBC Nightly News is like, we got 400,000 strong. Let's talk to them real good and give them and make sure that our questions hit this and this. And, and some people ask me like, well, what question are you gonna ask? And go, it's not about what I want to ask. It's about the conversation. What it unveils about the person. Yes. And if you have some average intelligence and you can think on your feet, and not just think on your feet, but want to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Have it listen, learn, and then respond with other questions. Pivot and think of it like you would in your home if you're introduced, if you're meeting someone and you're invited them over for right. dinner. Right? right? Hey, what kind of food do you like? Oh, I'm a vegetarian or I love meat. It's like, great. Now I know what to cook as you're cooking it. Hey, I made this for you. I thought you might like this. Now they're in the kitchen. You crack open a bottle of wine or a beer or water, whatever you drink. Then you start talking and then it goes from this to that and it bounces around. 
And I've always been amazed that people go, yeah, I can't believe you, you do that when you interview people. And I'm like, I don't interview people. I have a conversation. Right. This is about getting to know someone, and more importantly for the listeners to get to know someone, and pick their favorite spots, and then move on. That's all it is, right? Because if you try to force an agenda, yeah. to your point, right, it sounds fake. Exactly. You got your canned answer. Exactly. It sounds like a commercial. It sounds like a commercial. Right. And if you want a commercial, go, go over, back. Exactly. <laughs> go back over there. Go back to the nineties. Exactly. You know, and there's still those talk shows that exist. Sure. Yeah, I think that. So how long? How long have you been been doing this? I have another podcast that I've been doing for two years. Uh, it's called Talking During Movies, and basically what it was is my friends and I'd hang out and drink. And we'd put our favorite movie on in the background, and then we're just hanging out talking. Right. And then someone's like, "Oh, that's my. Hold on. Turn, turn it up. Turn it up. Get up." This is the funny part for me. Right. And then we all laugh, and then that spawns off a story into yeah. something else. And that, I mean, it's funny, you know, we talk about reach. And we were hanging out, and all of a sudden I'm looking at my numbers. My third largest country for downloads is Kazakhstan. Hmm. Kazakhstan. I, was yeah. like, I wonder why. So I do some real research. Oh, there's a military base there. Oh, Tim Kennedy was on my podcast. Now it makes sense. And then for some reason, some of those very nice people out there decided to keep listening yeah. after interviewing Tim. But it shows also that you can put up as many walls as you want. If someone wants to hear a voice, if someone wants to hear music, if someone, if, if you put it out there, the content will be absorbed. Exactly, exactly. When you put out something that's genuine and it can start from the place of you just enjoying it and then you're consistent, which is the, the key sort of piece of, it's the key reality to leverage in this era of short attention spans is that your weapon, so short attention spans mean that kind of the value of quality is less mm -hmm. because people aren't going to, people's brains aren't wired to stick through something that they don't already know. But the way to combat that, the easy way to combat that is through consistency. So if you're consistent with the thing that you feel is good, the thing that's real, it will land. And yeah, that's, that's just, that's just what it is. What did it feel like for you when it first landed for music? When you first heard that play, that what, what was it? Uh, Just Text was the first song of mine that sort of took off and it was in Atlanta. And I guess the reality is that my ambition always has me, maybe my ambition combined with my ADHD, always has me in a place of what's next, looking forward. So in the last year or two, I've learned to be more grateful and have gratitude, and I'm still working on that. But there hasn't yet been a moment of like, okay, we can chill, or okay, I, I got there, yeah. right? And I think for me, the shift needs to be daily or everlasting gratitude, because I know I'm in a place where the majority of rappers look at me like, oh, I would trade places with him in a second. And I also know my mentality is more of like, I'm not, I'm not a super, I'm not an overly superficial person, but just for a, like an example, it's like, all right, let's say I just copped um, a Ferrari, right? For a lot of people, like, okay, I, I got it. I know my mentality is like, all right, I copped a Ferrari. It's like, all right, well, yo, um, Kanye's got a private jet, so. When I get the private jet, I'll be happy. It's like, hey, we got the private jet now. A couple years, hey, hey, we got the money rolling in. We got the private jet. I'll be like, okay, but like Warren Buffett's got a fleet 
of private jets, <laughs> and Warren Buffett with a golden helicopter, or Warren Buffett still lives in Omaha, but he doesn't give a fuck. It's like, oh shit. Cristiano Ronaldo to avoid coronavirus bought an island that go. already had a house on it, and he's like, we'll just move there for now. Right. All right. <laughs> All right. I got more music over here. I got more stuff over here. I've got more. I'm not going to let you stop because that part of your brain is always working. That, I think that's it. I think it's all the creativity pushing, but specifically in the way that I've been doing this on my terms, meaning independent. I was just in New York. I was in New York for um, Fashion Week last month, and then that led, and then me being there opened up some label meetings. Some label meetings happened, and the offers were, this was probably the second time where there's been a, a wave of label sort of interested offers. And they were better than what they were before, but it's still like, you know, as a smart guy who understands money, it's like, well, this isn't really a, a game changer. I'm gonna continue to do things on my own. And then the, the reality of of that moment is, okay, I'm getting to do this on my own, but I'm, my brain is needing to do a lot of the business. And that keeps me from just being creative and just having fun. And I think that is probably the the biggest factor from of me feeling like I'm there yet because there's so much other shit I need to do mm -hmm. that I can't, that that would probably be the moment it's like, okay, my day gets to be driven by just creating and what feels good. And, I, and there's a team of uh, people to handle, a team of on-point people to handle all the business that that's brains are better than mine at that shit. That'll, that'll be one um, way of knowing. That'll be one point where it's like, okay, I've arrived. You've arrived. Yeah. With, um, you, know, you, you talked about going and talking at schools and you're like, hey, time get out get out you know and people are you know trying administrators like i don't think you know how the school works we get paid per body <laughs> you know just getting scared but I, I you know there's there's a true message in that and and i, I think probably the bigger message is correct me if i'm wrong it's like hey don't get caught in something because you think you have to yeah definitely that's definitely right? it. yes like don't you don't have to you don't i mean you exactly. don't have to. The same message for all the brown kids or all the immigrant kids whose parents you know, came here for a better life. So, so they want to see you do something where you don't need to take any risks. You're definitely going to have a better life. Yeah. Nah, you don't need to do anything. But now the, the flip side of that is that it's not, the message is not chill. The yeah. message is not just go and do whatever feels good all the time, like go smoke weed all day. No. If you're going to drop out of high school the moment you can, it's sure. because you're so brilliant and that you're able to figure out your plan where you on your own or you do whatever means you figured out is going to be better than what the system can offer you. Sure. So definitely don't feel locked into convention or conventional way of doing anything. But yeah, you've got to back that up. Okay. Yeah, there's 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 a rational intelligence to to, to moving forward. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions I, I I always like to ask people is, you know, dead or alive, you get to sit down, and spend a couple hours with someone. Who are you gonna hang out with? Malcolm X is my guy. Okay. Malcolm X is my like the the hero growing up. Muhammad Ali, Tupac. 
I like historically, I guess I try to um, wipe out all of the, the, the murder, but um, Genghis Khan. Sure. Big For that cat, oof. I mean, he was rough, but I'll tell you what, he had a plan. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I learned about the, the rough part, I think, later on. Uh huh. And then it, it's nice because, um, again, talking about it before, in school you only learn about European history and you know, in Canada, we learned about Canadian history and then American history. So then sure. it's like, oh wait, hey, here's a brown guy or, or whatever, you know, the Mon Mongols look like, um, who dominated We got all this, so hey, this is, then you learn about all the brutality and all that, so you sure. know, so, but those might be my guys, the prophets, I'd love to hear, I'd love to talk with Actually hear Jesus. right from them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, um, Muhammad, Moses, the first guy, Adam. Yeah. Um, the, man, the, the man with no belly button. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> I'd probably rather talk to Eve, um, but just bring both of them there. Yeah, this is, this is probably my, my all-star team. This is probably who I bring to the... That's a good table. To, to the table. What, what about you? Right, right now, who, who are you bringing? Man, I got uh, Khalil Gibran. Yeah, okay. I love I just, poetry. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. But I want to know what brought him to a point to where he could write that poetry. Yeah, yeah, Because that's yeah. not easy. Right? That's not an easy life that lets you write that. That's a lot of broken hearts. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of passion for people that still kicked you right in the teeth. Yeah. Right? Because... Yeah, it's rare that someone loves you more or loves you as much as you love them. And man, you feel that passion coming out of them. I agree with you, the prophets. I want to go to the source. I want to go to I want to go to Abraham's two sons, right? One went left, Christianity, one mm. went right, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, Muslim. And, and you, you gotta go, hey guys, once again, why, why are you splitting up here? What's going on? I want to hear it from the source. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. Because I because I, I want to know. Those are things I want to know, and, I, and I'm fascinated by, you know, um, I'm Ali, just such a, I want to find out what the person was outside of the persona. For Muhammad Ali? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, what was he like at home sitting down? I, I believe, probably irrationally, that Foreman, George Foreman, is just George Foreman. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah. I'm missing anything if I don't sit down and have a burger with George Foreman. Mean, yep. But I feel I'm missing something from Ali, this level of, of intelligence and enlightenment that he just didn't share because I don't think when he didn't do the draft and the way he was treated by people, he's like, you know what? I'm not letting you in. Yeah, it would, or, or it wouldn't have landed. It, it wouldn't have landed, yep. And then uh, probably the, the oddball out would be um, Nikola Tesla, just because I want to I wanna be in the room of how that original brain works. Because mm, okay. he was so opposite from everything else going on that you're gonna think he's crazy, right? You're sure. gonna do a pause back, but at the same time, you have the knowledge of knowing where some of his stuff went and what happened. You're like, well, he wasn't that crazy. So I, I wanna see that struggle. People who struggled, people who have worked hard and overcome past their death are the most fascinating to me because I don't think we respect their struggle. I feel like Tesla would be sad to talk to. You'd be like, damn, dog, like, come on. <laughs> but, it, 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 but it didn't work out. Like, it yeah. worked out from afterwards. So so there's no one, there's no one like a more typical Montana response that you got? No, I mean, there's a, I mean, the people in Montana are like, I want to talk to Custer. 
I'm like, right. I don't. Sure. Yeah. I don't need to talk. Or a NASCAR, NASCAR, NASCAR yeah, driver. Yeah. NASCAR driver or something, and I don't do NASCAR. Like you made a left hand turn again. That's fantastic. I'm very proud of you. You've done an excellent job. You gonna make another left? You are once again a listing the shit out is of it. Is it all left? Oh, no, it's all circle. It's not it's yeah, it's oval. Right. oval. Left, it's left. Like left. 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 You wrecked. That's a bummer. Was that a left hand turn hard? I you know, and it's not that it's not a hard job. I just don't respect it. <laughs> and could I do it? No. So when people get mad at me about this, it's fine. Listen, you're a NASCAR fan. Get after it. Right. 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 They got oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely enjoy your thing. Yeah. Enjoy your thing. Just because it's not mine, but no. I mean, there's. The, the only living person I'd want to sit down and talk with um, because of their drive is Joe Rogan. Okay. I think he's organized and driven and such a, and he's a family man. So it, it's very impressive to me because I want to know at the age where he's at, in the profession where he's in, how he, how he decided and then people followed. He decided, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to talk to whoever I want to. Smart people, crazy people, people you like, people you don't like. I want information thrown at me for two to three hours. And I want to read the books after they come and before they come. And I want to question them and I want to challenge them. I, that's so rare in media today. What's rare to, to take the stand that I'm going to do my own thing? A, I'm going to do my own thing. B, I don't mind challenging someone and being right or wrong to the face. Oh, got it. Okay, so so there are interviews that are like contentious. Yeah. With Joe Rogan. Yep. Like, what's an example of someone? Where uh, was... He was uh, the, one of his buddies was on. I forget the guy's name. Very uh, politically right guy, and and he's friends with a with a gay man. He's like, well, I'd never go to his wedding. And Joe's like, you're an idiot. This right wing guy who's friends with a gay, gay guy, guy said he wouldn't go to the wedding. Yeah. Okay. He goes, and Joe's like, you're an idiot. He goes, he's in love. Celebrate. He goes, no, uh, religiously, I, I disagree with that, so I'll never show I'll let, If he invited me, I wouldn't go. And Joe's like, fuck you. I'm not inviting you to stuff now. I mean, but he was, but they get to have that conversation, yet they're still friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Be, that It shows respect, but it also shows conviction. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we miss that a lot today, right? Yeah, definitely. It's easier to, myself included, it's easier to be like, just delete. Yep. This bit, uh, nah, you think like this, delete. And then that's not going to advance anything. No. So. And it's tough, but it's a uh, it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, the opportunities like this, though, and, and what happens are are some of the greatest opportunities of life, right? I mean, especially for, for, for me, I get to see and talk and engage with very unique people that have a much different story yep. than my very vanilla kind of growing up. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, right? I rode a bike to school. And it was a four-lane highway. I swear my parents were like, I mean, if he comes back, we'll feed him. But, you know, it's a, a four-lane highway, and there's like, cross it. I'm like, cross the highway? They're like, yeah, cross the highway. Oh, they encourage you to do oh, it yeah, on yeah, bike. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then ride down to school. Five, six miles on a BMX. They got a highway that turned into a two-lane that got me to school. These are the same people, like, you should go visit your grandparents. I'm like, I'd love to. Eight years old, put me on a Greyhound bus with two stops. I mean, this is the 70s and early 80s bus stations. I'm like, he'll be fine. I mean, if he comes back, we are going to feed him. Wow. I, it was. That's the, that's the hard living. Where no, no, this is where I think there's, there's brown kids in India that are listening. They're like, hey, like... <laughs> We share something with Montana right on the Venn diagram. On the Venn diagram? Yeah. We got a little mix? I think so. Like, hey, go see the, 
Yeah, I, I like now this is again is like the example of the brown family would never kick you out. I don't think they would let the kid ride to school on a bike on the highway. But the hey, you go see your grandpa, whatever. It's a bus. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You know, you should be. Uh, yeah. Bus driver grabs like you sit up front. Trust me. <laughs> I always ride in the back of the bus on the school bus. Son, this is the school bus. This is Greyhound. When we stop, I'm gonna walk you into the store. I had like five dollars. I'd get some hot tamales and a Coca Cola. He's like, can't eat that on my bus. I'm like, of course. He, yeah. But you do this trip often. Oh, often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I knew the bus drivers and the bus stops. Ladies be coming up. Jason, Jean, use the restroom. I'm gonna walk you over there. I'm like, thank you. And some guy starts following, and she's like, you know, you got this. 250 pound woman grabbing some dude trying to follow me in the restroom throwing him against the wall going you can't follow this boy in there who was a 250 pound woman she worked at the bus stop so the bus the bus had a bus driver and security well no she just like took tickets but she was my security yeah right. i was the only kid rolling in eight years old yeah so she, <laughs> so she knew what it was she knew what it was she's like this kid's gonna get nabbed right wow He's cute chubby little bastard there's someone's gonna grab him we gotta we gotta watch out for him i hope she's still out i hope you find her i hope I know. I, someone do that research the montana but what, what were the cities that you went between? we went so we went between uh uh Kalispell, montana and townsend montana a very small town we would stop outside of missoula and then we'd stop in helena the capital city and then i'd get the short bus ride about an hour long from helena to townsend then they'd drop me off in an alley in Townsend, Montana. So they needed an extra stop for you. Yeah, drop me off closer to, to be closer. Drop me off in an alley, and then they're on their way to like Three Forks and Bozeman and other areas. So they just do this quick stop in an alley because the town doesn't have a stoplight or a stop sign. That's how small it is. So just and then you walk around the alley to the front of the bar. There's my grandpa and my dad hanging out in there. They're like, "Hey, wait, you would get there? And your dad would be there?" Yeah. <laughs> don't don't worry about it. Listen, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I want to find this woman. <laughs> I know. You, you this woman saved my life. I, I want to find her. I want someone out there, a super fan, someone. Missoula. Outside of Missoula, yeah. There's a bus stop right outside of Missoula, Montana. And uh, she was the she was the gal there who, uh, older white woman, well, middle-aged white woman. She looked older to me because of my, my yeah, age. Yeah, you being eight, yeah. Uh, but uh, she was, uh, she literally saved my life once. I was, I, I, I you know, when she stopped someone. When she stopped someone. And God knows what she did when I just rolled into that restaurant. Oh, the other time you didn't even know. Exactly. Didn't know, yeah. You would, have, you would have been on a milk carton. Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, we got to find her. We got to find her. I hope she's still with us. <laughs> I owe you a Coke and a smile and so much more. Some, the hot tamales. The hot tamales. All right. Everything. Okay. Next time, next time I see you, I want the story to have been resolved. Okay? You got it. 100%. What, um, we're, we're past an hour here, which flying by, but... um. Close your remarks. What uh, what do you want to say to people? You know, I mean, you're you're very inspirational. You really do have this amazing leadership quality, and and the way you communicate. And uh, what's the thing, you know, to to the people out there that you know want to say? The I guess the advice I have for people who have that entrepreneurial spirit, people who are doing their own thing, is that. Like I said, consistency will get you places now. And on that journey of doing the thing that you love, being consistent with it, you'll get to a place where you understand that, okay, if I keep doing this, I keep getting better, I guess I'm getting better. Or even if you just you know, keep going, you'll, you will get to a place where it's gonna work out for you. And then once you get to that place, even though I just said, 
I haven't mentally been at this point. Ah, I made it. I know I'm at the point where you keep advancing and it's going to keep happening for me. So we're in the era of short pens to spend. It can be disheartening because you have a great product, you're doing something great, and people don't take, people just are not wired to notice and pay attention. But consistency is the, the secret power to getting to where you want to go to. And then a moment will happen when you realize, okay, I keep doing this, I'll keep getting good. So that is the advice I have and the thing that I want to say to people that are you know, doing their own thing. And then this sounds kind of, this might sound kind of cliche, but then doing what you know is right and, and being about others. Because in this world where you're going for yourself and there's you know, tax breaks for billionaires and Amazon's not paying its taxes, it is justified for you to get into the mind space of like, all right, well, everyone's out there for themselves. So that's what I'm going to be too, and I'm going to be cutthroat, and I'm only going to care about myself because that will get you where you've been faster, which is to totally logical. And it's, it's a mentality that probably will do you good. But there is something to say about your legacy and making the world a better place, doing this thing that deep down you know is right that will also give you something positive every day and every moment of, of life. So those are two things that I would say to people. I like that. Well, thanks for coming out, Deep Media Day. Um, Deep Media Day. Deep Hell, Media yeah, Day. Made it happen. The world is coming to whatever it's coming to, but hey, we still made it we happen. Still, we still made it happen. Not, uh, for everyone listening, listen, I don't care when you're listening to this, if it's in a week, in two years, from the St. Patrick's Day of 2020 that, that we're taping and filming this on. In Kazakhstan. In Kazakhstan, wherever you're at, two things I would close out with is one, thank you all for your time and your listening. Two, we are in a moment where people don't want to shake hands, give hugs and do everything. But I will say this, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, tell people I love you. Give them the love, you hey. have to. Give them the love. I tell every one of my Great. friends after a phone call, I love you. And some people go, huh? But now they're used to it. Because they'll tell you, you tell a big old country, my buddy Father John, sure, seven sure. feet tall. I'm like, love you, brother. And he's like, huh? Now he sees me seven feet tall. My head goes into his chest. He goes, come in here. Let big papa grab his arms around you. I'm like, yeah, because you know what? I do love him. And I don't think people share that. If you can't share a hug or a handshake, you can share an I love you. Great you tell people one. I love you. Great one. We are so like... With our love, yeah, great. Just bars right there, great. Especially for for men, males. Yeah, in our culture, like that alpha male doesn't show emotion, doesn't show love. But yeah, love. That's that. That's great, right there. We love. We love technology. We embrace technology. But Other the greatest humans. thing of all yeah. is love. Loving people. Shaw, thank you for your time, man. I cannot thank you enough. Oh yeah, really it's the beginning it. for us. We'll, yes, we'll, it is. We'll be in touch. We got to do it again. To it. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, you guys. Text me, text, text, text. Time and money, money expensive. expensive. You would never check in and it's so Western.
to put him in the gold road. Why are you calling you? Text me, text, text, text. Time and money might expensive. You and me, we're not best friends. Let it ring, they can tell. Why you calling you? Text me. Time and money might expensive. You and me, we're not best friends. Let it ring, they can take.